0: Join me in prayer. Lord, would you send down your Holy Spirit upon us, that we might be open to hearing your word, and open, open to being transformed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. We're going to start with verse 6. The background on this story is Samuel has been sent to anoint a new king. It's going to be one of the sons of Jesse, but he doesn't know which one. And our story joins as the sons of Jesse begin coming in, and Samuel is choosing which of these will be king. When they came, Samuel looked on Eliab, the oldest, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Rise. And anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. There's a sign in this high school locker room. The first line is, odds of making it to the NFL. And then it goes on to list a number of statistics. There are 1,086,627 high school football players. There are 70,147 NCAA football players, which, as I'm sure you've done the math, is 6.5%. 6.5% of high school football players will go on to play in college. Out of that 6.5%, 350 players will be invited to combine to show the NFL what they've got, 256 out of that 70,147 will be drafted, and in total, 300 rookies will make it into the NFL, which means 1.6% of NCAA college football players play in the NFL. So one6 of that previous 6.5% is a very encouraging 0.1% chance odds of making it into the NFL as a high school football player? 0.1%. The sign isn't trying to be a downer, right? This is a coach who cares too much about his football team to let his players hide from reality behind this dream. The NFL is a reality for 0.1% of high school football players. Unless the internet has lied to me, Two players graduating from Scottsboro High School have made it to the NFL. Ever. So if success for young football players is making it to the NFL, then two players from Scottsboro High School in the history of Scottsboro football, two players have been successful. This leaves us with two options. Either Scottsboro is failing horrifically at football, or that's the wrong definition of success. This isn't a football problem, or even a sports problem. This isn't an everywhere-you-look kind of problem, because we are terrible at defining success. My issue isn't dreaming big. It isn't having childhood dreams of hitting a home run for the Atlanta Braves or being an astronaut, but it is an issue when everyone in the world seems to think They're David. What do I mean? Look at David. He's out watching the sheep, doing the same old, same old. It's boring. It's lame. Honestly, it's pretty smelly. He's out there watching his sheep when a prophet named Samuel comes into town. And Samuel's on a mission from God to find a new king. So he starts out looking for a good king. All the attributes he thinks he'll need. Mature, wise, strong jaw, touch of gray in the hair, And God has sent him to this family. He said, it's going to be one of Jesse's sons. One of them I've chosen to be king. So the first comes forward. His name is Eliad. And he's the oldest. He's the most impressive. He's got the touch of gray in the hair. But God tells Samuel, stop judging by outward appearance. I judge by the inside and he's not the one. And just like that, we have our first failure. Dad calls up brother number two, Abinadab, and he passes before Samuel. And just like that, failure number two. And then brother number three, Shema. His name, unfortunately, sounds exactly like a piece of Hebrew grammar, like being named comma or apostrophe. (laughs) Shema. He passes in front of Samuel and without even opening his mouth, becomes failure number three. The next four sons are such catastrophic failures, they aren't even named. The Bible just says, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. When you're the son that's in the assembly line stage, epic failure. Not even listed. Samuel goes on, are, are all your sons here? And Jesse looks around and does a head count and realizes that ruddy little David is out watching the sheep. So he sends and he brings him in. And David walks in looking like he's been sleeping in the dirt and cleaning up after sheep. Because he's been sleeping in the dirt and cleaning up after sheep. But when he walks in, this little kid surrounded by grown adults, God tells Samuel, that's the one, the pitiful, dirty-looking one. Rise and anoint him. Usually when you hear this story read, it ends up being about how David is a secret hero which is part of the truth of this story. Everyone judged David by the outside and thought he was too young and too small to do anything important. But God judges by the inside. God saw something amazing inside of David, and God sees something amazing inside of you. One day other people will see it too, and you'll be king and famous. You'll have an amazing job you love with incredible benefits and free time to pursue all your hobbies as soon as they realize how amazing you are. You'll have a relationship with someone who checks all your boxes and loves you exactly the way you are and doesn't even want you to change because they saw how amazing you are because there is this amazing thing inside of you, this amazingness. And God sees it because He doesn't judge by the outside, and once it's unleashed, watch out, world. The problem with this way of reading the story is, in short, it says you'll be the 0.1% that makes it into the NFL. What's weird is how everyone reads this story and ends up thinking, I'm David. Out of all the characters, I'm David. Amongst the sons of Jesse, they all had a 12.5% chance of becoming king. I'm a numbers person. I'm sorry. I know it's early. 125 percent chance of becoming king, one in eight. And somehow, everyone is sure, I'm David. Before that famous invasion of Normandy, D-Day as it's often called, commanders were walking among the troops. And they were letting them know that amongst the first waves to hit the beach, two out of every three men might be killed. And one soldier looked at the men to each side of him and said, I'm sorry boys, when you're dead, I'll miss you. Because he was going to be the one in three that survived. It's wired into us to think that way. I'll be the one in three. I'll be the one in eight. I'll be the 0.1%. What's so dangerous is we end up living by this understanding of success, where success is being that one in three or the one in eight, or the 0.1%. I'm going to be the one guy in the room who beats the stock market. I'm going to be the one girl in the room to marry the perfect guy. I'm going to be the only person to have a classroom with all students who are perfectly behaved. I'm going to be such a great pastor that Jesus himself comes to give me an award. I am going to be David. I'm going to be the one who stands out, the one who makes it, who rises to the top. Being successful is being David. Sure, there's only one king. Sure, that choice isn't even mine, it's God's. But if I'm not David, if I'm not the one in eight, if I'm not the 0.1%, then I mean, I'm just a failure anyway. I want to be honest here, in case you're not already picking this up, I think this is a terrible way to live. A guy was going to play professional ball but his knee blew out. And now he lives life feeling like a failure and trying to turn a crew of ten-year-olds into the best team you've ever seen. Because he feels like a failure though, because he's trying to fill this hole inside from not going pro, he ends up yelling at the ref until a blood vessel bursts and making a ten-year-old cry because his passes aren't crisp enough. But where he messed up wasn't his knee blowing out and not going pro. He messed up in thinking that not going pro was a failure. If you're not David, you might be tempted to live your whole life trying to redeem a failure. That was never a failure. Or, if you're not David, you you might just give up. You aim low. You'll never be successful compared to the all-stars. You'll never be beautiful compared to the magazines. You'll never be healthy compared to that person on TV who does yoga every morning, meditates for three hours, only eats fruits, vegetables, and fish, and only ever eats them in the appropriate portions. You'll never be wealthy compared to I don't know who. There are those people out there. There are those people. And you'll never be like that, so you just give up on success. Just throw in the towel. I mean, if you make it out of bed, if your kids don't kill each other while you're in the shower, if you mostly feel pretty good most of the time, count it as a good day. You give up on success because you can't be those people. One way, you live your life like feeling like a failure because you're not the 0.1%, and the other way, you don't even bother because you'll never be the 0.1%. But today I'm preaching, not about David, but about the seven brothers of David. Because statistically speaking, we are the seven out of eight brothers who did not become king. And because it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous that we label all seven of them failures, knowing nothing about them, except that they didn't become the king of Israel. Who was Eliad? David's oldest brother, who was Eliad? What do we know about him? We know he looked impressive enough that when Samuel saw him, he assumed that Eliad had been chosen to be king. Other than that, we know nothing except that he wasn't chosen to be king. That's it. Was he a failure? Was he a failure? Was he a failure if he was a good husband and a good neighbor? If he worked hard at his job, if he was generous and kind, is he a failure? If he was faithful to God as a non-king, was Eliade a failure? We could walk through all seven brothers this way. We don't know anything about them except that they weren't king. We don't know about their family lives. We don't know what struggles they've overcome. We don't know what they contributed to the world. We don't know whose life they changed. We don't know who they made laugh or cry. All we know, all we know, is that they didn't become king. But we do know that the best way for them to fail in life is to spend the rest of their days wondering why David became king and they didn't, feeling like failures because they weren't chosen. If Eliot defines success by becoming king, he will live his life feeling like a failure, no matter what he accomplishes. And please notice this. When you define success like that, it gives you permission not to try. It'll never happen, so don't even bother. You'll never be king, so don't work, don't risk trying anything. You won't be in the NFL, so don't even go out for the team. If we don't actively define success, it will end up being something this arbitrary. Being in the NFL. Being king, whether a sports team wins, whether your kid's sports team wins, whether you're doing better in life than that girl you went to high school with. How do you define success? This is the moment in the sermon where we actually need to stop and think for a second. How do you define success? What would it take for you to define yourself as successful? For your relationships to be successful. What would it take for today to be a success? Or this year? Because I don't think the brothers were failures. At least not because they didn't end up being king. Just like I don't think David was successful because he did become king. You can ask any of David's eight wives. Or his son who tried to kill him to take his crown. To say David was successful because he became king is just to misunderstand the story of David. At one point, the same guy who comes to anoint David as king comes to publicly rebuke him for being selfish, entitled, and blind. He was a failure as a king because he left behind his faith. He was a success as a king because he had the humility to go back and find it. Being a king isn't success. Being a celebrity isn't success. We know these, right? But we don't always know them here. Being retired or making it to the NFL isn't successful. Those are just stations in life, like sitting in a pew. David was a failure as a king when he thought his station in life made him successful. He succeeded when he remembered the point was being a faithful king. Success. What does it look like? once you have a picture in your head, once you have an image of what success looks like, let me point something out. Success isn't a Christian virtue. Success is not a Christian virtue. If your business fails, that doesn't make you an inferior Christian. If a relationship fails, that doesn't make you an inferior Christian. If you step out and take a risk, and you fail in public in a humiliating fashion, that does not make you an inferior Christian. Because success isn't a Christian virtue. Here's proof. Jesus came to the world with what intention? He came to earth so that God's children, all the people of the world would return to God. That was success. And the people Jesus came to lead back to God, they nailed him to a tree and let him die. Was Jesus a failure? Was he a failure for dying? Or because some people rejected his message? Jesus wasn't a failure because it's the wrong definition of success. Because success isn't a Christian virtue, faithfulness is a Christian virtue. And Jesus was not so afraid of failing that he hid from God's mission. He wasn't so intoxicated with his own definition of success that he abandoned God's mission. He stayed faithful to God's mission. Success isn't a Christian virtue. Faithfulness is. That's how we're measured. It's what God looks at. When he looks past the exterior, he's looking at faithfulness. Listen, everyone in the world wants to be able to assess themselves. Am I a success? Am I a failure? Is my family a success? Is my family a failure? What's really important to realize is if you don't intentionally define success, you'll just grab a definition. And God's definition isn't like the world's. God's definition looks past the exterior and looks for faithfulness. Are you successful? Another way to ask this question as a Christian, are you faithful in your station in life? Are you faithful to God? And when we're faithful to God, we'll see our relationships strengthened. We'll be able to perceive our career in a different capacity. When we're faithful, we'll work hard and strive and and we'll want to. You'll take your task of being a mother or a father or a teacher or a leader, an employee, an employer, retired or a student. You'll take that role seriously and do that role faithfully. David was chosen out of his eight brothers to be king. And at times he was successful because he was faithful. And at other times he was a selfish jerk, a total failure. Because his faith, he left it behind. And I I think it's totally possible that several of David's brothers felt like failures for their entire lives. They felt like failures for their entire lives because of this one thing that happened when they were how old? 15? 20? And they lived their lives as failures because Brother David became king and not me. I don't know what picture of success you have in your head. But I would like to suggest to you this morning that we should look at them and think that maybe sometimes they're not quite right. As your definition of success, am I faithful in my station in life? Because you might not be the one in eight, you might not be the 0.1%. Chances are you, like me, you are one of the seven brothers, not David. But maybe, maybe Eliad, whose story we don't know, was more faithful to God than David. Just maybe. And if that's the case, I would rather be Eliad than be king. Let's pray. Lord, we confess to you this morning our tendency to define success by outward appearances, to define success by the things we want in life. But this morning we open ourselves to your definition of success, simply being faithful to you right where we are. Lord, send your spirit upon us and transform our hearts. Give us grace that, that we would long to be faithful in our own lives. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.